All right, so before we get into the word, there is something that I do want to talk to you about. Um, obviously, as we're sitting here right now um, in Israel, it's about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and there is constant warfare going on there. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of that. So what does that have to do with us? Honey, if you're a Christian, it's got everything to do with us. Everything to do with us. Because the day's going to come, and it seems like it's coming sooner than later, that Jesus is coming. Wow, what a big response we got that time. That's, let, me, let me just say something. That's dangerous, because the scriptures tell us in the New Testament, he's coming for those who expect him. You better get your expectancy up. Get your urgency up. Amen. We are living in just astounding times. We're living in times where the prophets thousands of years ago wished they could be in, and we're in it. And right now, major prophecy is being fulfilled in the Middle East. Major, major. Okay, this is big. This is one of those milestone markers, what's happening today and what's happening in this season right now. And um, we need to play a part in this. So I want to receive an offering. We're going to do it this weekend, next weekend. The offering will be sent to Daystar Christian Network, Television Network, and they will use their connections in Israel to distribute um, monies that come from all over the world to, to do various different um, charitable, well, they'll fund different charitable organizations, some that are working with the families of people that have been directly affected by this. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of news here in America. We get a lot of clutter. We get a lot of noise. We get a lot of white noise. We get a lot of stupid things that, that occupy our minds through the media. But if we would take the time to go listen to some of the news from overseas, we would see how serious this situation is and how many people have, have been drastically and traumatically affected especially by the events that took place two weeks ago yesterday. Horrible, horrible event that has taken place, probably on, on, on the same scale as the Holocaust. Okay, there's only one difference. Most of the world had no idea when the Holocaust was going on. We know now in real time when stuff happens overseas. And so I, I hope that you'll invest, and I believe it is a good investment. It is sowing into good ground. Um, look, we're grafted into Israel. We are the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Amen. If you were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. And it's the Greek form of the Hebrew Mashiach, the anointed one. He is the Messiah of Israel. Um, I want to address this very, very briefly because I don't have time to spend on this. If you have a problem with Israel and you have a problem with Jewish people, you're going to have a problem when Jesus shows up because he's a Jew. He's a Jew. Okay, you want to turn to somebody and say he's a Jew? Okay. So um, I want to read to you from a scripture. Now, this scripture I'm reading from Matthew chapter 25. Okay, I want you to understand something. This scripture, this portion of Matthew 25 applies to the last days. And you and I are in the last days. Amen. 
And I could see some of you were sitting there going, yeah, we've been hearing this for years. No, 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 you don't understand something here. There's two major events that took place within many of our lifetimes, and they both took place recently. Both of them were things that Jesus said would be the distinct moment of time when things would shift into the last days. Number one is 1948, Israel became a nation. Unheard of, never happened before, okay? Number two, in 1967, Jerusalem was recaptured and redeclared to be the capital of the nation of Israel, the state of Israel. Those are major things, and they both took place within most, some, some people here in their lifetime. Definitely 1967, most of our lifetimes, okay? Pivotal, critical points in history. From that point on, the clock started ticking, okay? And Jesus said that the generation that sees that come to pass will not leave this planet until we see the return of his return, his second coming. Are you listening to me? Okay. Uh, maybe you don't, you don't delve into a lot of this, and uh, from what I'm told, not a lot of churches want to talk about this kind of stuff. To me, it's like, how do you not talk about this kind of stuff? Because Amen. the job of a shepherd of any local congregation is supposed to prepare the flock for what's coming in the future. We are going to see some tremendous, amazing things. How would you like to have been there when the Red Sea parted? Well, what's coming in the future is going to be on par to that. In fact, we'll probably make that look like a puppet show, okay? We are in that generation that's going to see tremendous things happening. Now, I want to read a portion of Scripture to you, and i got to do this quick because this isn't the message, all right? So don't use all your listening energy now. Save some for later, okay? The Scripture that I'm going to read to you pertains specifically. I know we quote it all the time, but in context, it pertains specifically in the last days. Matthew chapter 25. Let's see, where do I want to start? Verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So you got sheep and goats, okay? And he will say to the sheep on his right hand, well, my right hand, okay? He will say to the sheep on the right hand, set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to him, now listen to this very closely, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it to me. Who is his brethren? Who is his brethren? I'm talk- Who is his brethren according to blood? Israel. Israel. Do we not understand? I, and I, you know, I could go the rest of it, but I won't. The church is a 2,000-year interruption in God's plan. 
You didn't hear that. The church, see, we think it's all about us. The church is a 2,000-year interruption in the plan of God. The kingdom of God is all about one city, and that city is Jerusalem, the city of the great king, he called it. He said, where I put my name upon that place. Okay, you're understanding this. We better thank God that in his mercy, he included us. That's why the, the, the disciples, when Jesus was ascending into heaven, they're like, where are you going? Isn't this the time that you're supposed to reestablish your kingdom here? Isn't this the time where you're going to take up your throne? And he's like, no, nah, guys, you don't understand. And of course, I'm paraphrasing, okay? They, the, the church was a mystery, even in the Gospels. But thank God for that mystery. Because the great majority of us in this room are Gentiles. We're non-Jewish people. We might have some blood in us here and there, but for the most part, we don't fall into that lineage, naturally speaking. But Jesus in his mercy and God the Father in his plan to have compassion on the whole world, when it came time for Jesus to ascend into heaven, push that pause button on the nation of Israel. Push the pause button on the Jewish people. Okay? And there are some that have come in throughout the centuries, but it was a time for the Gentiles, the time for us to see the light. Even it was prophesied in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, that the land of the Gentiles, the people of the Gentiles would see a great light. Okay, thank God for this 2,000 years. But what's happened with most of us, we made it about us. This whole plan is about Israel. This whole plan is about God fulfilling a promise to a man named Abraham. And he's going to fulfill that promise. Are you listening to me? Yes. So understand this. Do not disconnect yourself from this. Keep your eyes on what's happening in the Middle East. Keep your eyes, because this is stuff that was prophesied in some places even up to 3,000 years ago. I challenge you, won't take the time right now, I challenge you to go read Psalm 83 because we are seeing Psalm 83 taking place right before our eyes. You don't even have to look at the TV. You could look at Psalm 83 and go, that's happening, that's happening. This person's involved, that nation's involved. This is what this one's saying. It's literally there word for word. That should excite you. Amen. Because Jesus said, when you see all these things happen, look up. look up. Because your redemption is getting closer and closer. So, in Matthew 25, Jesus rewarded the sheep who blessed his brethren. If you, I don't want to take the time, but if you read the rest of it, the goats, the nations that refused to help his brethren, they're lost in eternity. When the king comes, he will reward those who blessed his brethren. Amen. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 12 when God said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And that's why no matter how many nations come against Israel, they will fail. They will ultimately fail because God has promised Abraham that he would defend Abraham's descendants. So I want to receive an offering right now. If you want to participate, fine. If you don't, fine. That's fine too. God says we should not do it under obligation, but I'm telling you, uh, I want new beginnings to be represented in this. I want all of us to be represented in this. 
And my advice to you is whatever you can give, give, because that's going to stand for eternity. Amen? Amen? You can also, if you're not prepared to give right now with a check or cash or whatever, if you are, get an envelope filled out. If not, you can go online, go to our giving page. There is a little drop-down tab there. I believe it says Aid for Israel or something like this. We want to be able to in invest. We want to be able to bless these people. We want to be able to send comfort and aid to the people whose suffering, whose homes were destroyed, whose babies were slaughtered, whose families are missing. This nation has been traumatized now. We're, we're far removed from it here. And I pray in Jesus' name that we stay far removed. Okay, but the stuff that happened there two weeks ago can very possibly happen here right in this nation. And so we pray and we thank God for his protection. Amen. 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 Ushers, go ahead and receive this second offering. If you could, on the front of your envelope, just put IDF, uh, just, or just put Israel, whatever. Put something on there. All right, if you're going to give online, you can go online and do that anytime. We'll be doing it again next weekend, and then the following week we'll send a check to Daystar Christian Network. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that your hand of protection is upon your friend Abraham's family, Father upon the nation, the state of Israel, Lord God, that you promised in your word that you would resurrect in these last days. Father, we thank you for safety over Israel. We thank you for wisdom for the leaders, God. We thank you for protection for the soldiers. And Father, we also pray for the innocents that are used by these forces of darkness, Father, the people that are suffering in Gaza, the families, God, that are mourning right now, the grief-stricken, Father, the innocent children there, Father God, that are suffering because they're being manipulated by politicians and manipulated by corrupt leaders, Father. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray for your angels to surround those families and to bring comfort, Father, by your spirit. Lord, turn people's attention unto Jesus, Lord God, that those that don't know him would know him, Father. Lord, turn what the enemy has meant for harm, turn it around for good, Lord. And thank you for your protection over this nation, Father God. Thank you, Lord God, that from north to south to east to west, Father, your angels surround this country, God, defeating the forces of darkness, Father. Lord, plots and conspiracies of the enemy that are being planned, even in darkness right now, Father, we pray that they would be put to, to, to naught, that they would be neutralized, that they would not succeed in any type of terrorism in this nation, Father God. Thank you for protecting us, Lord. Thank you for protecting our soldiers, God. Thank you for protecting the law enforcement agencies all across this nation, Father. Give them divine wisdom, Lord God. Give people, in, in, Father, in those upper echelons of, of the law enforcement and even the military, give them wisdom and understanding, Father. Let every plot of the enemy be exposed, Father, that your people would be kept safe here, Lord God. We trust you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Okay, you guys ready for the message? Yeah. All right, good. You got to listen good. You got to listen close because I got a lot of stuff to cover here today. We're starting a new series this weekend. About a month ago, maybe a little bit more, not too much more, about a month ago, uh, I, I can't tell you exactly where this happened. I, I, I know it was in the morning time when I was praying. Uh, just sometimes I'll just sit there and just, God, if you want to say anything, you want to just talk to me. You know, impress my heart to the directions that you want me to go or 
What do you want to say? What do you want to say to the people of New Beginnings? What do you want to say to anybody that might watch our videos online, no matter where they are, any place in the world? What, what do you want to say? What's, what's the focus right now? What is the focus in this season? And um, I just began to feel this strong impression, and I kept hearing this thing in me, this, this, this phrase come up, and it's, it's quoting the Apostle Paul in Philippians, and we're going to go to that. And, and I, I just kept hearing, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Because, you know, I've been in this thing now for 39 years, saved 39 years ago, and, you know, been around for a little bit, and you start to realize, if I have him, I've got everything. Amen. If I have him, I don't need anything else. If I have him, with him is going to come everything else that I'm going to need whether that's in my soul, whether that's something spiritual, whether it's something physical, if it's something material, whatever it is, if I have him, I have the blessing. Are you listening to me? Yes. Okay. And what ends up happening sometimes in, in the church world, that we start teaching on this thing and that thing and the other thing. And we're teaching on, well, it's important for us to teach on forgiveness, and we need to. Well, it's important for us to teach on relationships, and we need to do that. And it's important for us to teach on, on love, and it's important for us to teach on, on, on faith, and it's important for us to teach on the end times, and it's important for, and you just go on and on and on, and you get to the point, you go, when was the last time we actually talked about Jesus? You listening to me? Yes. You go online, you listen to people on television, it's like, Everybody's talking about everything but him. And he's the most important person in our life. He's the most important relationship that we need to nurture and need to develop and need to hold close to our hearts. And especially in the times that we're living in right now when there's so much going on that's robbing our attention, that's constantly distracting us. And and we're all becoming this nation of just knee-jerk reaction. Everything is knee-jerk reaction. And it's just, it's intentionally done to just keep our minds occupied constantly so that we don't put the first things first and keep the main thing the main thing. So, this series is entitled Jesus, that I may know him. And what an important topic right now. What an important person to study. He is the central figure of our salvation. Yet so many have just a surfacing knowledge of who he is. He is the author and completer of our faith. He is the head of the church. He is the commander of heaven's armies. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And listen, I would go study that out a little bit and start getting that picture. Because most of us have this religious picture of Jesus with this flowy nightgown on, holding a lamb on his back, you know. Or this picture of this little baby, uh, you know, sitting on a, on a pile of hay. Um, he's not coming back like that. No. The first time he came, he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But when he comes back this time, oh my gosh, the world is in for a, a, a great surprise because he's not coming back. This helpless little lamb, he's coming back as a lion. He's, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the commander of the armies of heaven. Amen. Thank you for that, amen. So in this series, and you're kind of proving to me that I'm hitting it right here, that we need to talk about this. In this series, we're going to look in depth into the person we call Savior, Lord. 
the one we call healer, the one we call redeemer. Okay, we're going we're gonna to let the scriptures tell us about this wonderful second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. I want to start out, this is the introduction this weekend. I want to start out with one of the most surprising portions of scripture written by the Apostle Paul himself, and I kind of hinted towards it already. Why is it surprising? Because when you look at Paul's life, you would think the last thing we would expect to hear coming out of his mouth is that, that statement that I may know him. Dear God, Paul, if you're saying that I may know him, you who, who God by the Holy Ghost allowed to write two-thirds of the New Testament, you who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, you who had such an amazing transformational experience, you who worked miracles, you who turned the entire Roman Empire upside down, dear God, if he's still saying that I may know him, then where the heck are we? We need to know him. We need to hear his voice. We need to recognize his voice. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation. I feel like it's, it's, it's fairly accurate, but it's also in a language that we can understand a little bit better. Here's what Paul had to say to this church in Philippi. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching this so that we would not only establish faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's going to be an important focus point today, but that the faith that we've developed is safeguarded. Why would we have to safeguard our faith? Because we're bombarded every day by information that's trying to get us off of our stance of faith. Are you listening? Are you guys here or is it just your body and everything else went home? All right. I'm going to skip to verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. You understand, part of Paul's mission was to, to convince his Jewish brothers and sisters that the Old Testament law was done away with in Christ. And they held that if you will, you could still, you could believe in Messiah, but you still got to get circumcised. And Paul's like, if you have to do things in the natural to earn your salvation, then you don't have salvation. So that's another teaching for another time. For we who worship by the Spirit of God, the ones who are truly circumcised, because he's talking about the circumcision of the heart, okay? We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. That's a big deal right now. Because there are so many Christians that are putting confidence in their human efforts. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Well, that's not what the scriptures say. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, pastor, since I started, this is what I love when I hear this one, and, and please, I hope I'm not offended. When I, since I started coming to this church, I'm doing so much better. Oh, honey, it wasn't the church that did it. It was Jesus that did it. Amen. I'll say it again. It wasn't the church that did it. It was Jesus that did it. And if you get closely hooked up with him, He'll do even more. Amen. Now, from time to time, we'll have uh, uh, different events that go on, and sometimes we'll have smaller groups of people say, well, why don't, you give us our te- why don't you give our testimony? Let us know what the Lord's done in your life. Well, I came to this church. No, no, we didn't ask you when you came to the church. We asked you, when did Jesus come into your life? Well, when I came to this church, everything. Well, when I started coming to the church. No, honey, uh, what, what happens if the church is not here? 
then you have no more relationship with God. Honey, you better be connected to Jesus. You come to church to get equipped. You come to church to get refreshed. You come to church to share your experiences that you had during the week with Jesus. Oh, it got quiet in here this morning. Are you a church member or are you born again? I hope so. I hope so. Okay. He goes on to say, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, verse 5, he's going to give us his resume. Now, remember, he's writing this to the church, but at this point in time, the church is mostly made up of Jews. He's writing to people who understand the law of Moses, who understand Old Testament stuff, okay? So this is going to mean a lot to them. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Why does he put specifically eight days? Because that is a command that Moses gave, that every male child on the eighth day should be circumcised. So he's going, we went right directly in detail. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Why are you saying that? Because in Israel at that time, there were a lot of people who had mixed backgrounds. He's saying, I'm a purebred, okay? Member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's important because the tribe of Benjamin, you didn't mess with back then. They were Israel's SWAT team, okay? A real Hebrew, if ever there was one, a member of the Pharisees. In other words, these are the strictest, he goes on to say, who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I, harsh, I, I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without, flaw, without fault. What's Paul saying here? If anybody in Israel had a reason to rely on self to become holy or saved, he says, I have more reason because of my background in Judaism. He's like, I, I knew how to, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. He was very religious. But you want to know something? You could be very religious and end up in hell. I'll say it again in case the people in the back didn't hear it. You can be very religious and end up in hell. Because religion means that you've established a belief system that you believe is going to make you good enough for heaven. And that system does not exist except in your head. If we're not careful, we can develop a dependency on our own goodness and morality. And that's why some of us don't seek after Jesus. Because we think, I got my act together. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not smoking anymore. I'm not addicted to pornography anymore. I'm not cheating on this. I'm cheating on that. I'm not doing, I got my act together. Whoa, whoop de do? Because a lot of people in hell, they got their act together. <laughs> and they tried to do it without Jesus. Look, this is going to be the message for the next few weeks. This is, this is, this is time to, to get the wrinkles out. This is time to jerk the slack out of everything. Because we are not living in a period of history right now we could afford to fool around with a casual relationship with God. Amen. All right, well, we might have some extra seats next week. We will brag about our good deeds and generosity and without realizing we become self-righteous. There's only one problem with self-righteousness. Can I have that scripture in Isaiah, please? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Okay, I'm reading it from the amplified, classic amplified version. 
For we have all become like one who is unclean. Ceremonially, like ceremonially, whatever that word is, like a leper. There's too many L's. And all our righteousness, our best deeds of rightness and justice, is like filthy rags or a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away far from God's favor. Look at that last line. Hurrying us toward what? So self-righteousness leads to destruction. Why? Because you can convince yourself that you've got your act together so well. Well, you know, it's nice. Jesus is there, and I'm glad that he came to the earth. I want to back up here, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I feel like I need to, I need to make this point. If you look up that word polluted garment in Hebrew, the words, this is what it says, like a menstrual cloth. I'm not going any further with that one. That's how, that's what God thinks of our self-righteousness. Now, I'm starting off with this, because what's the use of us learning about Jesus if we have some of us that think that we're going to get in on our own good deeds and we don't need Jesus? Because, you see, when you realize our true state of who we are, well, I'm born again, Pastor. Your spirit's born again. You are tripart in nature. Your spirit's only one-third of that being. We are a spirit. We possess a soul. And that soul is, is going to reflect everything that you and I have ever been exposed to from the time that we can remember. And we have a body. But your spirit, when you claimed Jesus for your Lord and Savior... When you declared your faith in him, your spirit came alive unto God. Your soul is a worse enemy to you than, the, than Satan could ever be. Amen. Say, so, well, I, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been saved for decades now. Yeah. Billy Graham said this. He said, the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you should be of your sinfulness. Amen. I'll say it again. He said, the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you should become of your sinfulness. See, we think that scripture, Romans 3, 23, all I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, only pertains to before we got born again. I dare one person to answer this. How many of you stopped sitting completely as soon as you said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior? I dare you. So listen to me. I don't know about you, but I need him to be my savior every day. I need him to be my savior. Who's he going to save me from first? Me. You listening to me? Somebody put the devil, the devil, the devil. The devil can't do anything to you that you don't open the door to. You're the biggest problem. You're your biggest problem. That's why I laugh when people tell me, you know, I uh, can't live here in New Jersey. It's too tough. I'm going to move to such and such. What are you kidding me? You taking you with you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Just because you change geography don't mean anything. You take you with you. If you could leave you behind and go, it'd be a different story. All right. Now, this stuff, this self-righteous stuff, and I want to kill this thing because it'll keep us from really getting to know who Jesus is. Man, I never thought of it that way. When we entertain self-righteousness, like we're, we're good now, we're good, you know, Pastor, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. We can literally put ourselves in competition with Jesus. Because the work we should be letting him do, we think we're doing on our own. Are you getting this today? Stinks. It stinks because it makes us deceived. And it's a constant temptation for us. Romans 3.10 said, no one is righteous, no, not even one. You and I cannot become righteous until we come to Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he, God, made him Jesus to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. There's, that's the only way for us to become righteous. What does righteousness mean? What is right? We use that term. We throw that term around. Oh, this is a righteous person. This is a, a pious person. Baloney. It's garbage. The only righteousness that matters is that which God puts you in. Amen. Righteousness is a position that God in his mercy takes you and puts you in. And it's his perspective about you. It's not your perspective about him. Uh, are you listening? So when you and I came to Christ and we said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you, that you went on the cross for my sins and took all my punishment. I believe that you rose from the dead. God goes, awesome. He takes us and he places us into a category entitled righteousness. It's the only way you can come. It's got to be a gift from me. You cannot earn it. Amen. You cannot, there's nothing you can do to attain that. In fact, the more you try to attain it on your own, the more self-righteous you become, the filthier you become, and the more that God doesn't want nothing to do with the person that's self-righteous because they are claiming that they can get to that state without Christ. That's why you when you when you try to witness to people and try to tell people about Jesus, I don't need that. I never killed anybody. I never, I never took drugs. I never robbed a bank. Oh, so all of us are born again. We kill people. We take drugs and we rob banks. Are you listening? Do you ever have that experience? Oh, yeah. I don't need that. I'm good. Oh, I love the people say, oh, no, I've known Jesus since I was born. Well, you're the only one. Are you listening to me? Look, we, gotta get, look, we can't get this one wrong. This is something we can't afford to be wrong. We got to get this one right. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Apostle Paul. I once thought these things were valuable. What's he talking about? The fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day. The fact that he was born into the tribe of, Je of Benjamin. The fact that he was a, a Pharisee. The fact that he was, in his eyes, perfect in his observance of all the laws. He said, I thought this was a big deal at one time. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless 
because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value, infinite value, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, original language, counting it all as dung. Do I need to describe what dung is? Okay. Counting it all as dung so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That's our goal, is to become one with him. Not just Jesus on a Sunday, not just Jesus on Saturday, not just Jesus on a Wednesday night, not just Jesus when I'm in a Bible study, not just Jesus when I'm in a connect group. Paul said, I want to know him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, though obeying, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. This is what Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. The cross is a method of execution. It's a symbol of death. Now, he's not necessarily talking, Paul's not necessarily talking about, because he goes on in verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or the other, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It's not talking about our physical death. Physical death is almost easy compared to the death he's talking about. He's talking about death to self-interest. Have you ever sat down and been honest with yourself and, and did a self-examination, an inventory, and realize, oh my God, I am the most selfish person in the world. If we'd be willing to be honest with ourselves, we're so tied up in self-interest. We're so tied up. And we get so manipulative in our minds. You hear about somebody's situation and immediately start thinking, okay, how can, how can this work to my interest? My God. And we're born again. Our spirits are alive unto God. The trouble is, when we don't allow our spirit to infect our soul, then our soul starts yielding towards our flesh. And we start thinking like the world, talking like the world, acting like the world. Listen to me. I know this is not popular, what I'm going to say. Some of you are going to blow it off. My business is not how you respond. My business is to deliver. Okay. But the only way the world sees what we're really about is in our outward life. That's why baptism is so important. Because that's like the initial thing you do. Like, yeah, I'm serious about this thing. I'm going to get baptized. It's an outward expression of what took place on the inside. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the rest of our lives? How is anybody going to see that we're really connected to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because, you know, you might think you have a halo, but we can see you. <laughs> what is the outward expression of our lives? If we're still thinking like the world, talking like the world, and let me tell you something, okay? I'm really going to get in trouble today. I am disgusted with what I see on Facebook. 
disgusted. When I see Christians that attend this church dropping the F-bomb on Facebook, I want to blot you out of the book. Don't tell people where you go to church. If you're going to conduct yourself that way, do not tell people, go, man, he woke up in a bad mood. This no, I'm fed up with this crap. Excuse me. Talking like the world. Acting like the world. I don't want nobody's blood on my hands. I don't want nobody in eternity to say, well, you know what? I looked at other people's lives, and man, I didn't see any difference between them and me. So I didn't take this message serious. We are witnesses. Amen. Our lives are supposed to give evidence. Amen. If you're acting like everybody else in the world, you don't think there's going to come a day that we're going to have to give an accountability for that? What do you think? Jesus is going to go, oh, I winked at it. <laughs> come on in. Is there some, there's some that Jesus is going to go, come in. I got to let you in because you, you, you declared your faith in me. Come on in. Where should I go? All the way back there. See that little shack all the way in the distance? That's yours. Harsh, huh? It's the truth. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Nobody wants to preach this stuff anymore. Narrow is the way that leads to life. The way to the world is broad. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, we have to fit in. No, we're not supposed to fit in. Fit in with what? Fit in with a culture that's destroying itself? Fit in with what? A culture of degeneracy? Fit in with what? Well, we don't want to push people away. The word draws people. The love of God draws people. Holy conduct draws people. Didn't you ever, weren't you ever around people? I know what got my attention for the gospel was like, there's something different about this group of people that I came in contact with almost 40 years ago. I said, there's something different about it. They have something that I don't have yet. I thank God that those people that I first came in contact with weren't compromised Amen. like we see so many people living today. Here's the reason why I'm presenting this series. To help those whose heart cry is, I want to know him no matter what the cost. I want to know him no matter what the cost. Number two, to stir up the desire to know him among those who have been satisfied with just a surfacey religious perspective of Jesus. There's going to be a lot of believers in heaven. I don't know how many disciples there's going to be. But there's a lot of believers that are going to heaven. I'm not satisfied to be a believer. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower. And now the road gets even more narrow. Number three, to bring out the true Jesus of Scripture in order to connect with the reality of his being. The true Jesus. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And what I hear some Christians say about, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Or Jesus doesn't think that way. Have you ever read the Gospels? What are you going to do with something? We've really studied the Scriptures. What are we going to do with a Scripture like Paul wrote? Like right now, the, the address escapes me. He said, if there's anybody among you that's sexual and moral, don't even eat at the same table with them. 
That's scripture. That's scripture. And we claim to be people of the word. All right. Let's, let's, let's start talking about Jesus, okay? I want to start with some of the more familiar statements about Jesus from his own words and from the words of others. John 14, verse 1. John 14 is an amazing chapter in the Gospels. I woke up during the night, and all I was hearing was John 14, John 14, John 14. I got up and started reading it. I'm like, I can't wait to teach on the entire chapter of John 14, because it's amazing. Now, now, the Lord kind of shined the light on this for me a number of years ago. And I'll, I'll say this to you, because I've said it, I don't know, many hundreds of times already. John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, all takes place at the Last Supper. Everything that Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit and about the subject of love is in those chapters. I would say that it's important for us to study those, number one, for this particular reason. Jesus knows at the Last Supper that he's going to be arrested that night. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross the next day. Jesus knows that these disciples are going to be traumatized in the next 24 hours. He doesn't sit there wasting time talking about the weather. He doesn't sit there wasting time talking about the newest restaurant that opened up. He doesn't sit there wasting time talking about your favorite football team. What does he talk about? He talks about the things that the apostles need to prepare them for what they're going to witness in the next few days. Important teaching. So what does he say to them? Let not your heart be troubled. Now, they're sitting at the table. They're having the Passover feast, which really is celebrating him because he's the Passover lamb, okay? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places, you can put. If it were not so, I would have told you. Look at this next phrase. I go to prepare a place for you. Next verse. And if I go and prepare a place for you, read it with me nice and loud, I will come again and receive you to myself. Stop right there. Different subject. Why is it that we talk about Jesus coming back, everybody clams up? Well, we don't know about that. We don't know. The scriptures are are not clear. The scriptures are not clear. He just said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. So already get all like, now, what do we do? We take this scripture and we like to read it at funerals. But this, he's telling them, I'm going, but I'll be back. Central doctrine, I'm going, but I'll be back. They were so convinced of it, they expected in their lifetime, okay? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Next verse. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And they're sitting there going like, what is he talking about? Because they don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days. They think it's just like another Passover. Like you sit at Thanksgiving with your same relatives every year, eating the same food, talking about the same conversation. You don't take it serious, okay? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, ready, one, two, three, nice and loud, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, you know, Pastor, there's many different ways to get to God. Oh, really? Jesus said there's only one way. 
Many different ways. You know, all the religions are really the same. Really? Pretty good. I guess you know more than he does. He said, I am the way. I am the vehicle. I am the way you're going to get there. If you're going to get there, it's going to be because of me. Amen. Hallelujah. The little baby got it. Part of the reason that people have a casual relationship with Jesus is because they see him as only one of many ways to get to God and enter heaven. These individuals see God, see Jesus. He's a good man. Oh, Jesus was a good man. He was a great teacher. He taught us a lot of good principles. Even was a miracle worker. But they do not see his true role in salvation. You want to know why? You want to know why we in the church have a hard time with that? Because we look at salvation through the eyes of of American Christianity. We do not understand that this is a Jewish thing. And because of whatever filters we've developed over the years, as soon as you hear the word Jew, you back off. You shut down. Not understanding. Like I started out today. It's the mercy of God that the church exists. So we don't see him. When was the last time you thought about him as Messiah? You're so used to using the word Christ, you forgot what it meant. That he is the anointed one of God that was sent to this earth to redeem us, to pay for the sins of mankind. He is the Passover lamb that was slaughtered, whose blood protected the Israelites from the angel of death. You see him as an American Jesus. The book that you hold or the book that you have home collecting dust is a Jewish book. You have to look at it through Jewish eyes. You have to understand the Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern mindset or that book is going to be blind to you. In fact, most of the Gospels, they're like this to us. Because we don't bother to dig in. We don't bother to find out what did they hear him say. Never mind what we hear. What did they hear him say? One of the reasons why the, the story that we call the prodigal son has stood out for so many thousands of years is because it wasn't the first time that story was told when Jesus told it. But see, the rabbis were teaching that for 200 years behind, before that. The only difference was in their story, according to the law of Moses, the son got stoned to death. So when Jesus told the story with that outcome, it got their attention because like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is merciful? Yes, God is merciful. God is compassionate? Yes, God is compassionate. They forgot him. They forgot who he was. And the church has forgotten its roots. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. This is is better than last night's. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's a whole nother teaching. Don't have time for it right now. There was a a very important reason why Jesus went went to this particular region, okay? We'll talk about it in the future. He asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man? Now, watch this now. Caesarea Philippi is full of idols. It's a region where people from all over the Roman Empire, people immigrated there. They came there to work and to do whatever, but they had groups from all over the place with all different religions, and all of them had set up all their little shrines all over the place. And this group is worshiping this God. And that group is worshiping that God. And this group is worshiping this God. And, in, and with that backdrop, Jesus is looking like, 
And he says to the disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And some said, John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Every one of them knew there was something special about this guy, but they didn't get it right. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And who speaks up? Simon Peter. All right, the one in his yearbook said, least likely to succeed, right? <laughs> There's a reason why Simon Peter speaks up. Because God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Amen. So there's hope for us. Amen. Tell us somebody said, there's hope for us. Amen. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. It sounds so nice in English. But when he said it, he said, you are Mashiach. You are Messiah, the son of the living God. And it got their attention. Mm-hmm. Let's see what Jesus says after this. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And listen to me. You can be as religious as the day is long and get it wrong. Jesus said, who do they say you Some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say you're the other thing. He said, but who do you say I am? And Peter, spe- Peter was probably the most surprised out of the whole group that this popped up. Did you ever have that happen? All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost is just, Woof, and you go, oh, my God, can I take that back? He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. You can have all the head knowledge, but until you get a revelation of who Jesus really is, you have not truly experienced salvation. It comes by revelation. He draws us. God the Father draws us. He opens our eyes to it. But if you don't take hold of that revelation and you let your head knowledge get in, in the way, you can miss it. Look, they had him right in front of them. That whole generation in Israel had the Messiah right in front of them, but only a small fraction grasped the revelation of who he is. He kept saying to them, if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for the things I'm doing. Amen. Believe the signs. Believe the works. Go back and study. Go find out. I'm doing what your scriptures tell you the Messiah is supposed to do when he gets here. Blind eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are being opened. The lame are walk. Lepers are being cleansed. The dead are being raised. And the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is being preached to those who are empty on the inside. Okay. I've only got a few minutes. I want to make sure. I want us all to make sure that we get this one right. And if you have come into a relationship with God based on the fact that you think you're a good person and God, you deserve to be saved, honey, uh-uh. I would be negligent as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, to let you continue thinking along those lines. Because the reality is, none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve salvation. We are ungodly. 
That's our human nature. Our human nature is ungodly. Our human nature is tendency to leaning towards sin. Some of us don't, we jump into it. Never mind lean into it. We jump into it. I want to dispel that stuff. I want to make sure it's, you know, when you go to a doctor, like you go to a specialist doctor the first time, they say, come on, let's do some tests so we can get a good baseline for you. And we need a baseline. You do not come to Christ with your hands full of yourself. We come to Christ empty-handed. We have nothing. The only thing we can offer him is our faith, and even that he put in us. So understand, if you're sitting here today and you think you're such a hot shot that you got your act together, and Jesus should be so glad that you're part of the church, I suggest to you immediately repent. You can't get this one wrong. You get this one wrong, you spend all of eternity separated from God. I, I don't like making what seems to appear as negative statements or confessions about ourselves. But when we say what the scriptures say, then truth brings revelation. We in ourselves, apart from Christ, are ungodly. People, I know a person that's not born again, and you know, they're really nice people. Nice people, they have nothing to do with being nice. Jesus didn't come to earth to make us nice. Jesus came to earth to bring dead people alive. Amen. Please get that in your head. But there's hope. Even if we say, I'm an ungodly person, I'm ungodly. When I came to Christ, I'm ungodly. Now, my spirit came alive and I'm righteous in him, but my soul, if it is not regenerated, if my soul does not become transformed by the renewing of my mind, will stay ungodly. There's hope for the ungodly. Romans chapter four, verse five. But to him who does not work, but believes on him. In other words, to him that doesn't come with all our good deeds. But God, I deserve to be saved. Like, like, like the, the religious leaders that came to Jesus when that centurion's servant was being tormented and paralyzed. And they had the nerve, the nerve the nerve to say to Jesus, this guy deserves for you to heal his servant. After all, he built us a synagogue. Oh, he built you a synagogue. Look at that political manipulative move they tried to make. You need to go to this guy's house. You know, make us look good. He built us a synagogue. Trying to earn a healing by manipulating the Lord. Oh, I would never do that. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the who? Come on, don't, don't say it, like, say it like, you, like you really mean it, okay? Because this is good news, okay? But to him who does not work, but believes on him. What are we called to do? To believe on him who does what? Justifies the who? Ungodly. And we say sometimes to talk about maybe a relative or a friend or a coworker. Oh, I can never see that person get saved. They are so degenerate. They're so filthy. They're so disgusting. They're the worst human beings they've ever come across. Oh, so you're saying they're ungodly? Yes or no? Yes. They're ungodly. Well, they qualify. We believe on Him who has justified the ungodly. You and I were ungodly. We still act ungodly sometimes when we don't let our spirit rule and reign, when we let our flesh rule and reign, we still act ungodly. Yeah. 
Thank God we have a Savior who justifies the ungodly. I quoted this last night of this man sitting on the front row over here. I'm not trying to blow him up, but he made a statement to me years ago. It's never left me. He said, what's wrong with Christians is this. They say, I have an issue. I have a problem. I have a challenge. And they never get free from those things because they won't call it what it is. It's sin. And the only antidote for sin is God's grace. But if you don't call what you're going through, what you're doing, what's hanging on you, if you don't call it sin, it doesn't qualify for his grace. So stop referring to your sin as, well, I have a little issue. I have, you know, I still carry, you know, I still haven't gotten, I've gotten rid of this. I'm still dealing with this. So it's sin. Call it sin. Bring it to the Lord so that his grace can just obliterate it. Amen. Stop saying, I got an issue. I got a problem. You know, I need counseling. No, you might need deliverance. Of course, nobody in here, I'm not talking to any, but I have never in my life, in all these years that I've been saved, in 26 years of pastoring, seen, and, now let me back off on that. We're all messed up. And nobody wants to admit it. Everybody wants to point to somebody else's mess. But nobody wants to say, I'm messed up. And the more distracted we become by the things of this world, the more cluttered we become by the lies of of just our culture, the less we want to shine the light on the problem, on the sin. And so 20 years goes by and we're still acting the same way. We carry scripts. Why? I'm this way. Well, when I was a kid, oh, if I hear one more story like that. Yeah, did things happen to us? They did. Are you going to keep letting them happen to you? Are you going to draw the line someplace and say, okay, this is what happened to me. But from this point on, I'm taking responsibility. I'm not going to let that thing torment me anymore. I'm not going to treat everybody else bad. I'm not going to abuse somebody else because I was abused. When's it going to stop? I got to stop here. I got to finish. Come on. All right, listen to me. One, two, three. This is it. I'm done. I, I, I shudder to do this because I don't want to cast doubt on someone's salvation. I don't ever want to be the source of having somebody doubt their salvation. But maybe today is the day that you finally draw the line and underline the whole thing. If you did not come to Christ with the idea of, I am a stinking sinner. I have nothing good in me apart from, this, from my God. If you did not come to Christ, if you came to Christ thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to do this because, you know, I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven. Oh, honey, it's a miracle of God that a lightning bolt hasn't hit you yet. But listen to me. We are not in a time in history where the church can afford to be fooling around. You cannot fool around with this thing. We come to him empty-handed. We come to him not based on our goodness, based on the fact of, dear God Almighty, you are my last resort. If you don't rescue me, I am done. If you have not come to Christ that way, please, please stand up right now because I want to pray for you and pray with you.
If you, if you have never gotten to that point to say, I am, I'm, I've been an ungodly person. I've been an ungodly person. I need Jesus. I need, I, I need to make sure that my salvation is secure, that I'm abandoning any of my good deeds. I come to him just out of total mercy, throwing myself on his mercy. Is there anybody here today that would be honest about that? If that's you, please stand up. Okay, you're dismissed. God bless you.